0: Chapter Six of the Texan Scouts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edmonds. The Texan Scouts by Joseph A. Outcheller. Chapter Six. Evidently, the horses had found considerable grass through the night, as they were fresh and strong, and the miles fell fast behind them. At the gate at which they were going, they would reach the cabin that night. Meanwhile, they made plans. The little force would divide and messengers would go to San Antonio, Harrisburg, and other points with the news that Santa Ana was advancing with an immense force. And every one of the three knew that the need was great. They knew how divided councils had scattered the little Texan army. At San Antonio, the most important point of all, the town that they had triumphantly taken from a much greater force of Mexicans, there were practically no men and that undoubtedly was Santa Ana's destination. Unconsciously, they began to urge their horses to great and yet greater speed until the panther recalled them to prudence. Slower, boys, slower, he said. We mustn't run our horses out at the start. And there's a second reason for pulling down, said Ned, since there's somebody else on the plain, His uncommon eyesight had already detected before the others the strange presence. He pointed toward the east. Do you see that black speck there where the sky touches the ground, he said? If you'll watch it, you'll see that it's moving. And look, there's another, and another, and another. The panther and Obed now saw the black specks also. The three stopped on the crest of a swell and watched them attentively. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, counted the farsighted boy. And them thirteen specks are thirteen men on horseback, continued the panther. And now I wonder who in the name of the great Horn spoon they are. Suppose we see, said Obed. "'All things are revealed to him who looks, at least most of the time. "'It is true that there are more than four to our one, "'but our horses are swift and we can get away.' "'That's right,' said the panther. "'Still, we oughtn't to take the risk unless everybody's willing. "'What do you say, Ned?' "'I'll reply, yes, of course,' said the boy. "'Especially as I've an idea that those are not Mexicans. "'They look too big and tall, "'and they sit too straight up in their saddles for Mexicans.' "'Them ideas of yours are catching,' said the panther.' them fellers may be Mexicans, but they don't look like Mexicans. They don't act like Mexicans, and they ain't Mexicans. Take out what isn't, and you have left what is, said obed. We'll soon see, said Ned. A few minutes more, and there could be no further doubt that the thirteen were Texans or Americans. One rode a little ahead of the others, who came on in an even line. They were mounted on large horses, but the man in front held Ned's attention. The leader was tall and thin, but evidently muscular and powerful. His hair was straight and black like an Indian's. His features were angular and tanned by the winds of many years. His body was clothed completely in buckskin, and a raccoon-skin cap was on his head. Across his shoulder lay a rifle with a barrel of unusual length. "'Never saw any of them before,' said the panther. "'By the great horn spoon, who can that feller in front be? He looks like somebody.' The little band rode closer, and its leader held up his hand as a sign of amity. "'Good friends,' he said in a deep, clear voice. We don't have very close neighbors out here, and that makes a meeting all the pleasanter. You are Texans, I guess. You guess right, said the panther in the same friendly tone. And you are Texans, too. That point might be debated, replied the man in a whimsical tone. And after a long dispute, neither I nor my partners here could say which was right and which was wrong. But while we may not be Texans, yet we will be right away. His eyes twinkled as he spoke, and Ned suddenly felt a strong liking for him. He was not young, and despite his buckskin dress and careless grammar, there was something of the man of the world about him, but he seemed to have a certain boyishness of spirit that appealed strongly to Ned. I s'pose, he continued, that a baptism will make us genuine Texans, and it appears likely to me that we'll get the most lasting of all baptisms, a baptism of fire, but me and Betsy here can stand ready for it. He patted lovingly the stock of his long rifle as he spoke the word Betsy, it was the same word Betsy that gave Ned his sudden knowledge. I'm thinking that you are Davy Crockett, he said. The man's face was illumined with an inimitable smile. Correct, he said. No more, no less. Andy Jackson kept me from going back to Washington, and so me and these twelve good friends of mine, Tennesseans like myself, have come here to help free Texas. He reached out his hand, and Ned grasped it. The boy felt a thrill. The name of Davy Crockett was a great one on the southwest, and here he was, face to face, hands gripped with the great borderer. This is Mr. Palmer, known all over Texas as the Panther, and Mr. Obed White, once of Maine but now a Texan, said Ned, introducing his friends. Crockett and the Panther shook hands and looked each other squarely in the eye. Seems to me, said Crockett, that you're a man. I was just thinking the same of you, said the Panther. "'And you,' said Crockett to Obed White, "'are a man, too. They certainly do grow tall where you come from.' "'I'm not as wide as a barn door, but I may be long enough to reach the bottom of a well,' said Obed modestly. "'Anyway, thank you for the compliment. Praise from Sir Davy is sweet music in my ear, indeed. And since we Texans have to stand together, and since to stand together we must know about one another, may I ask you, Mr. Crockett, which way you are going?' "'We had an idea that we would go to San Antonio.' said Crockett, but I'm never above changing my opinion. If you think you'd better to go somewhere else and can prove it, why well, me and Betsy and the whole crowd are ready to go there instead. What would you say, asked the Panther, if we told you that Santa Anna and 7,000 men were on the Rio Grande, ready to march on San Antonio? If you said it, I'd say it was true. I'd also say that it was a thing the Texans had better consider. If I was using adjectives, I'd call it a limon. And what would you say if I told you there wasn't a hundred Texan soldiers in San Antonio to meet him 7,000 Mexicans comin' under Santa Anna? If you told me that, I'd say it was true. I'd say also, if I was using adjectives, that it was most powerful alarmin. For heaven's sake, Mr. Panther, the state of affairs ain't so bad as that, is it? Certainly is, replied the Panther. Ned Fulton here was all through their camp last night. He can talk Mexican and Spanish like lightning, and he makes up wonderful, and he saw their whole army. He saw old Santa Anna too, and fifty or a hundred generals, all covered in gold lace. If we don't get a lot of fighting men together and them quick, Texas will be swept clean by a Mexican army, same as if a field had been crossed by millions of locusts. It was obvious that Crockett was impressed deeply by these blunt statements. What do you wish us to do? he asked the panther. You and your friends come with us. We've got some good men at a cabin in the woods that we can reach tonight. We'll join with them, raise as many more as we can, spread the alarm everywhere, and do everything possible for the defense of San Antonio. A good plan, Mr. Panther, said Crockett. You lead the way to this cabin of yours, and remember that we're serving under you for the time being. The Panther rode on without another word, and the party, now raised from three to sixteen, followed. Crockett fell in by the sight of Ned, and soon showed that he was not averse to talking. A good country, he said, nodding to the landscape, but it ain't like Tennessee. It would take me a long time to get used to the lack of hills and running water and trees which just cover the state of Tennessee. We have them here too, replied Ned, though I admit they're scattered, but it is a great country to fight for. And I see it and we'll have a grand lot of fighting to do, said Davy Crockett. They continued at a good speed until twilight, when they rested their horses and ate of the food that they carried. The night promised to be cold but clear, and the crisp air quickened their blood. How much farther is it? asked Crockett of Ned. Fifteen or eighteen miles, but at the rate we're going we should be there in three hours. We've got a roof, it isn't a big one, and we don't know who built it, but it will shelter us all. I ain't complaining of that, rejoined Davy Crockett. I'm a lover of fresh air and outdoors, but I don't object to a roof in cold weather. Always take your comfort, boy, when it's offered to you. It saves wear and tear. A friendship like that between him and Bowie was established already between Ned and Crockett. Ned's grave and serious manner, the result of the sufferings through which he had gone, invariably attracted the attention and liking of those far older than himself. I'll remember your advice, Mr. Crockett, he said. A rest of a half hour for the horses, and they started riding rapidly. After a while, they struck the belt of forest, and soon the cabin was not more than a mile away. But the panther, who was still in the lead, pulled up his horse suddenly. "'Boys!' he exclaimed. "'Did you hear that?' Every man stopped his horse also, and with an involuntary motion, bent forward a little to listen. Then the sound that the panther had heard came again. It was a faint ping of a rifle shot, muffled by the distance. In a moment they heard another, and then two more. The sounds came from the direction of their cabin. "'The boys are attacked,' said the panther calmly and it's just as well that we've come fast. But I can't think who was after him. There were certainly no Mexicans in these parts yesterday, and urrea could possibly not have got ahead of us with a raiding band. But at any rate, we'll ride on and soon see." They proceeded with the utmost caution, and they heard the faint ping of the rifles a dozen times as they advanced. The nostrils of the panther began to distend, and streaks of red appeared on his eyeballs. He was smelling the battle afar, and his soul rejoiced. He had spent his whole life amid scenes of danger, and this was nature to him. Crockett rode up by his side, and he, too, listened eagerly. He no longer carried Betsy over his shoulder, but held the long rifle across the pommel of his saddle, his hand upon hammer and trigger. What do you think it is, Panther? he asked. Already he had fallen into the easy familiarity of the frontier. Can't make it out yet, replied the Panther. But them shots surely came from the cabin and places about it. Our fellows are besieged, but we've got to guess at the besiegers, and then I'm likely to guess wrong. They were riding very slowly, and presently they heard a dozen shots, coming very clearly now. I think we'd better stop here, said the panther, and do a little scouting. If you like it, Mr. Crockett, you and me and Ned will hear will dismount and slip forward and see what's the trouble. Obed will take command of the others and wait in the bushes till we come back with the news, whatever it is. I'll go with you gladly, said Davy Crockett. I'm not looking for trouble with a microscope, but if trouble gets right in my path, I'm not dodging it. So I say once more, lead on, noble panther, and if Betsy here must talk, she'll talk." The panther grinned in the dusk. He and Davy Crockett had instantly recognized congenial souls, each in the other. "'I can't promise you that there'll be ripping and tearing and roaring and chawing all the time,' he said. "'But between you and me, Davy Crockett, I've an idea that we're not going to any sort of prayer meeting this time of night.' No. I'm thinking now, said Crockett, but if there's a scene of turbulence before us, lead on. I'm prepared for my share in it. The debate may be lively, but I've no doubt that I'll get my chance to speak. There are many ways to attract the attention of the speaker. Pardon me, Mr. Panther, but I fall naturally into the phrases of legislative halls. I remember that you served two terms in Congress at Washington, said the Panther. And I'd be there yet if it wasn't for Andy Jackson. I wanted my way in Tennessee politics, and he wanted his. He was so stubborn and headstrong that here I am ready to become a statesman in this new Texas which is fighting for its independence. And what a change from the marble halls in Washington to a night in the brush on the frontier, and now with an unknown enemy before you. They stopped talking now, and kneeling down in the thicket began to creep forward. The cabin was not more than four or five hundred yards away, but a long silence had succeeded the latest shots, and after an advance of thirty or forty yards, they lay still for a while. Then they heard two shots ahead of them, and saw little pink dots of flame from the exploding gunpowder. "'It cannot be Mexicans who are besieging the cabin,' said Ned. "'They would shout or make some kind of a noise. We have not heard a thing but rifle shots.' "'Your argument is good,' whispered the panther. "'Look, did you see that figure passing between us and the cabin?' I saw it, said Davy Crockett, and although it was but a glimpse in this night, it did not seem to me to be clad in full Christian raiment. I'm quite sure it is not the kind of costume that would be admitted to the galleries of Congress. You're right, doubly right, said the Panther. That was an injun you saw, but whatever a Comanche or a Lipan I couldn't tell. The boys are besieged not by Mexicans, but by injuns. Hark to that. There was a flash from the cabin. A dusky figure in the woods leaped into the air, uttered a death cry, and fell and lay still. "'And you see,' continued the panther in his whisper, "'the boys in the house are not asleep, dreaming beautiful dreams. Looks to me as if they are watching mighty sharp for them fellers who have broke up their rest." "'Crack!' went a second shot from the house, but there was no answering cry, and they could not tell whether it hid anything. But they soon saw more dark figures flitting through the bushes, and their own position grew very precarious. If a band of Indians stumbled upon them, they might be annihilated before they gave their besieged comrades any help. i make the motion, Mr. Panther, said Crockett, that you form a speedy plan of action for us, and I trust that our young friend Ned here will second it. I second the motion, said Ned. It is carried unanimously. Now, Mr. Panther, we await your will. It is my will that we get back to the rest of the men as soon as we can. I reckon, Mr. Crockett, them Tennesseans of yours wouldn't head in the other direction if a fight grew hot. I reckon that wild horses couldn't drag em away, said Crockett dryly. Then we'll go back and join him. To hold a caucus, so to speak. I don't know what a caucus is. It's congressional for a conference. I don't mind these parliamentary expressions of mine, Mr. Panther. They give me pleasure and they hurt nobody." They reached the Tennesseans without interruptions, and the panther quickly laid his plan before him. They would advance within a quarter of a mile to the cabin, tie their horses in the thicket of the brush, leave four men to guard them, and the rest would go forward to help the besieged. Crockett's eyes twinkled when the panther announced the campaign in a few words. Very good, very good, he said. A steering committee could not have done it better. That also is parliamentary, but I think you understand it. They heard detached shots again, and then a long yell. They're Comanches, said the Panther. I know their cry, and I guess there's a lot of of 'em. Ned hoped that the shout did not mean the achieving of some triumph. They reached presently a dense growth of bush, and there the horses were tied. Four reluctant Tennesseans remained with them, and the rest crept forward. They did not hear any shot after they left the horses, and they were within three hundred yards of the house. Then an apparition caused all to stop simultaneously. A streak of flame shot above the trees, curved and fell. It was followed by another and another. Ned was puzzled, but the panther laughed low. This can't be fireworks on election night, said Davy Crockett. It seems hardly the place for such a display. They're fireworks, all right, said the panther, but it's not election night. You're correct about that part of it. Look, there goes the fourth and the fifth. Two more streaks of flame curved and fell. Ned and Crockett were still puzzled. Them's burnin' errors, said the panther. It's an old trick of the engine's they had time enough, they'd be sure to set the cabin on fire, and then from ambush they'd shoot the people as they ran out. But what we're here for is to stop that little game of theirs. The flight of the arrows enable us to locate the spot from which they come, and there we'll find the Comanches. They crept forward to the point which the lighted arrows were flying and peering from the thicket saw a score or more of Comanches gathered in the bushes and under the trees One of the Tennesseans, seeking a better position, caused a loud rustling, and the alert Comanches, instantly taking alarm, turned their attention to the point from which the sound had come. "'Fire, boys! Fire at once!' cried the panther. A deadly volley was poured into the Comanche band. The Indians replied, but were soon compelled to give way. The panther, raising his voice, shouted in tremendous tones, "'Rescue! Rescue! We're here, boys!' The defenders of the cabin, hearing the volleys and shouts of their friends, opened the door and rushed out of the cabin, rifle in hand. Caught between two forces, the Comanches gave up and rushed to the plain where they had left their ponies. Jumping on the backs of these, they fled like the wind. The two victorious parties met and shook hands. We're mighty glad to see you, Panther, said Fields, grinning. You don't look like an angel, but you act like one, and I see you've brought a lot of new angels with you. "'Yes,' replied the panther with some pride in his voice. "'And the first of the angels is Davy Crockett. "'Mr. Crockett, Mr. Fields.' The men crowded around to shake hands with the renowned Davy. Meanwhile, a small party brought the four Tennesseans and the horses. Fortunately, the Comanches had fled in the other direction, but it was not all joy in the Texan camp. Two silent figures covered with serapes were stretched on the floor of the cabin, and several elders had wounds, although they had borne their parts in the fighting. "'Tell us how it happened.' said the panther, after they had set sentinels in the forest. They attacked us about an hour after dark, replied Fields. We knew that no Mexicans were near, but we never thought of Indians raiding this far to the eastward. Some of the men were outside, looking after jerked meat, when they suddenly opened fire from the bush. Two of the boys, Campbell and Hudson, were hurt so badly that they died after they were helped into the house by the others. The Comanches tried to rush in with our own men, but we drove them off and we could have held the cabin against them forever if they hadn't begun to shoot the burning arrows. Then you came. Campbell and Hudson were buried. Ned had been welcomed warmly by Allen, and the two boys compared notes. Will's face glowed when he heard of Ned's adventures within the Mexican line. I never could have done it, he said. I couldn't have kept steady enough when one crisis after another came along. I suppose this means, of course, that we must try to meet Santa Anna in some way. What do you think we can do, Ned? I don't know, but just at present I'm going to sleep. The Panther, Davy Crockett, and Obed will debate the plans. Ned, who was becoming inured to war and danger, was soon asleep, but Will could not close his eyes. He had borne a gallant part in the defense, and the sounds of rifle shots and Indian yells still resounded in his excited ear. He remained awake long after he heard the heavy breathing of the men about him but exhausted nerves gave way at last, and he, too, slept. The next morning, their news was debated gravely by all. There was not one among them who did not understand its significance, but it was hard to agree upon a policy. Davy Crockett, who had just come, and who was practically a stranger to Texas, gave his opinions without hesitation. "'It's better for you, Mr. Panther, and you, Mr. Watt, to make the motions,' he said. "'I and my Tennesseans will endorse him, but it seems, boys, that if we came for a fight, it is offered to us the moment we get here.' "'Yes,' said the twelve Tennesseans altogether. "'I shall be compelled to leave you,' said Roylston. "'Pray don't think it's because I'm afraid to fight the Mexicans, but, as I told you before, I can do far greater good for the Texan cause elsewhere. "'As I am now as well as ever, and I am able to take care of myself, I think I shall leave at once.' i've only known you a few hours mr roylston said crockett but i've knocked around a hard world long enough to know a man when i see him if you say you ought you ought to go that's so said the panther we've seen mr roylston tried more'n once and nobody doubts his courage a good horse saddled and bridled with arms and ammunition were given to roylston then he bade them farewell when he was about twenty yards away he beckoned to ned when the boy stood in the saddle-bow he said very earnestly "'If you fall again into the hands of Santa Anna, and are in danger of your life, use my name with him. It is perhaps a more potent weapon than you think. Do not forget.' "'I will not,' said Ned, and I thank you very much, Mr. Roylston. "'But I hope that no such occasion will arise.' "'So do I,' said Royston, with emphasis. Then he rode away, a square, strong figure, and never looked back. "'What was he saying, Ned?' asked Will, when the boy returned. "'Merely promising help, if we should need it, hereafter.' He looks like a man who would give it. After some further talk, it was decided that Ned, Will, Obed, and the Panther should ride south to watch the advance of Santa Ana, while Crockett, Fields, and the remainder should go on to San Antonio and raise such troops as they could. And if you don't mind my saying it to you, Mr. Crockett, said the Panther, keep telling em over and over again that they need to beware. Tell him that Santa Anna, with all the power of Mexico at his back, is coming. Fair enough, my good friend said Davy Crockett. I shall tell them every hour of the day. I shall never cease to bring the information before the full quorum of the house. Again, I am parliamentary, but I think you understand, Mr. Panther. We all understand, said the Panther. And then Crockett rode away at the head of the little troop, which tacitly made him commander. Ned's eyes followed his figure as long as he was in sight. Little did he dream of what was to pass when they should meet again scenes that one could never forget, though he lived a thousand years. "'A staunch man, and true,' said Obed. "'He will be a great help to Texas.' Then they turned back to the cabin, the four of them, because they did not intend to go forth until night. They missed their comrades, but the cabin was a pleasant place, well-stored now with meat of buffalo, deer, and wild turkey. Floor and walls alike were covered with dressed skins. "'Why not fasten it up just as tightly as we can before we go away?' said Alan. The Comanches are not likely to come back. The war is swinging another way. And maybe we'll find it here handy for us again some day. You're talkin' sense, Will Allen, said the panther. It's been a shelter to us once. There might be a shelter to us twice. The smell of the meat will, of course, draw wolves and panthers. But we can fix it so they can't get in. Taking sufficient provisions for themselves, they put the rest high up in the rafters. Then they secured the windows and heaped logs before the door in such a manner that the smartest of wolves and panthers in the world could not force an entrance. As they sat on their horses in the twilight, preparatory to riding away, they regarded their work with great content. "'There it is, waiting for us when we come again,' said Obed White. "'It's a pleasant thing to have a castle for refuge when your enemies are making it too hot for you out in the open.' "'So it is,' said the panther, "'and a man finds that out more than once in his life.' Then they turned their horses and rode southward in the dusk, but before long they made an angle and turned almost due west. It was their intention to intersect the settlements that lay before the Rio Grande and the San Antonio and give warning of the approach to Santa Ana. They went on steadily over a rolling country, mostly bare, but with occasional clumps of trees. End of chapter six. Recording by Edmonds.